Welcome to Lucky Boys Podcast. I'm Will. And I'm Norm. And we have a very special guest here today, Calvin's son. Emergency room doctor here in NYC. Welcome. Just call me Calvin. MD. How that? that? You can call me asshole. It's a quite fascinating story before we hopped on. You shared that you graduated college. You took two years off. And then you went into bartending. Oh, no. I started bartending uh, my first year of college. It's the best paying job on campus. Oh, on campus. So hold on. Year. I needed it. I wanted the best. Oh, we campus. skipped over that part. Okay, so you started bartending freshman year of college all the way through until you got your bachelor's? All the way through. Um, I got my license or certification to bartend that first class uh, that I took as my fresh semester of freshman year and then was teaching by the summer between freshman and sophomore year. That bartending agency. Okay, so then you took two years off afterwards. Yep. And then you just continued the bartending to, I guess, a familiar job. Yeah, it wasn't full-time. It was just odd jobs here and there. It was flexible. You were able to live a a lifestyle without having to commit to something nine to five. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And then at what point do you go, you know what? I'm going to be a doctor. It was never a conscious decision. It was more of a, I don't know if I should be one might be one could be one or this is something that is subconscious and i was going back and forth Uh, i definitely knew the roots came from my parents who wanted me to become a doctor familiar story for some of you Mm -hmm. but then after my dad died when i was 19 my mom got sick with parkinson's and it was all within the same summer of 2006 the worst and best summer of my life i'd like to say i decided to do my own thing and not become a doctor and then uh that was right in the middle of college. So I had two years of college and the two years off. And then in that four years, I was actually really happy not becoming a doctor, but then wasn't sure if I was gonna be like this for the rest of my life. And in that moment, I remember wondering what if I'm actually meant to be a doctor and not doing something was, this, was equally as bad as doing something because of something. So by not doing or becoming a doctor because of my dad or my parents or the stereotype was letting them win. And as equally bad as doing or becoming a doctor because of a stereotype of my parents. So damn if you do and damn if you don't. Exactly. The poison cup scene from The Princess Bride is how I like to compare it. Okay. Both cups could be poisoned or none or either. The only way to know is to do it. Uh, you saw a fork in the road and you went straight. I, I basically try to do both. He went circles. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hopped back and forth. Uh, and I, or went straight. No, actually going straight is exactly how I did it. I uh, was always honest and committed to the present. Or if there were a fork in the road, I created my own path. Uh, it was just inspired by a bet that I had lost to a girl while bartending um, back in 2010. So what did she say? If, if you lose this bet, you have to try to become a doctor? If you lose this bet, you have to come to Egypt with me. When are you leaving for Egypt? Tomorrow. Since, essentially, like within 36 hours or something. Spontaneous. So you wow. lost, obviously. I, and, I, and I told her I'll go if tickets under $2,000 as a joke. I did check fight prices i was intrigued i i liked her uh and that night uh or then the next 24 hours that those flight when flights went from six uh two thousand dollars to 650 and i'm a man of my word holy crap wait two thousand dollars to 650 it just cratered and wow if anything i'm a man of my word i always follow through you message me i barely know you too i'm here within what 48 hours uh, respect respect so yeah. i barely knew her I followed through. I was in Egypt with her, like, within the weekend. I was like, who are you? What's your name? 
No, I knew her name. I knew her name. Uh, we know her, her first you name. You woke up in and Cairo. What's your name? Yeah, it was it was a really wonderful story. Uh, we were together for another you know two months after the fact. But how did that connect to you being a doctor? It was inspired. It was so that at that trip it inspired me because at that time in my life I didn't and never wanted to travel. So immediate res. We're going to cut back to the very beginning. Born and raised New Yorker, never wanted to leave the country, and I had an attitude where like you know what the whole world comes to New York anyway. What's the point of spending all this money? To go to places you're not going to live in anywhere because New York City is the best city in the world. I, it was very childish of me to think that, but like that's all I knew, and I was very sheltered. Uh, just leaving to new places just scared me. And another good example is during spring breaks or winter breaks on college, people all leave to their respective tr- trips and everything. I didn't have money, I didn't have time, didn't have any interest. I just stayed on campus. I was like Harry Potter, where like <laughs> the whole campus is mine. And I have no my, home to go back to. No home to go back. I just like just basically had my own ventures on campus. I just stayed on campus, even though I didn't have a dorm on campus in the summer. I had to like go back home. I, you know, my my undergrad was is, was in New York City. Uh, I would just go back and forth. And then, uh, you know, when it came to traveling, I was like, forget about it until that bet. And when I was in Egypt with her, uh, I only had one day with her. And then they had to leave me behind alone, which I didn't expect. I was expecting that my friends would be there. I had a uh, college friend that was Egyptian that was going to be there. Uh, I had just misinterpreted with thinking that I would be with somebody for the all three weeks, just hanging out with friends in a cool place. And then what actually happened was me being alone for three weeks. And then the next three weeks, I tried to travel alone. Um, actually, I thought about like switching my flights and going back home like the next day because I was like, "Whoops, I Whoa. didn't expect this." Um, then I, you know, I walked around circles for two hours, debating whether to stay or just you know stay for three weeks or just go home the next day. And then, long story short, um, I ended up staying by flipping a coin, essentially flipping a coin. And um, the first week, I hated it. I was like, "I'm gonna die! I'm 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 gonna die!" You know, this traveling alone thing sucks. I hate traveling. I can't believe people do this. The second week, I was like, okay, I'm getting the hang of this. And then the third week, I was like, huh, I get it. I get this is why, you know, I you know, travel. I mean, it wasn't like as bad as flipping a coin. It was really like I had to think about it. If I leave now and cut my trip short and go back to New York, there's a 100% chance I'll live, but a 100% chance I'll regret it. It sounds like a movie. If I wake up and I lose a bet to my friend and say, hey, go up to that girl and introduce yourself and talk to her. That's one thing. But it's a whole nother commitment to becoming a doctor and taking care of people. That's a, that's a whole nother level. I mean, how did you not make a pivot away from that going in? You know, going in, you're, you're studying, you're doing all this stuff where it's, it's challenging. It's, it's, yeah. You know, how, how did you not get tempted to kind of take a couple of steps back and say, you know what, forget it. Let me go back to what I'm familiar with. It's like the inflection point. Again, it goes back to that Egypt. Everything goes down to that one moment in the train station when I was finally like left behind. Everyone's like, you're going to go home tomorrow, right? You don't know anybody. Nobody knows you. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll just change my flights. It's, it's not safe to travel alone in Egypt, not being prepared. As you have, you know, I didn't bring anything. I just brought my backpack. Mm-hmm. Didn't bring anything but my wallet and my backpack. So I was just like, if I leave, I will, there's a 100% chance I'll regret it, but 100% chance I'll live. If I stay, there's a 20% chance I'll live. But 100% chance I won't regret it. 20% chance. Oh, I don't know. Something like that. Well, I was like, I'll take the odds. But the right. idea was, how do I commit to medicine? That's not, that's not the question I saw it as. I, I see it more as committing to myself. I wanted to commit myself in the present the way I knew now. In that now, that 20%, 100% was better than the 100%, 0%. So 
it wasn't like a commitment to Egypt or a commitment to stay behind. It was a commitment to me in that present moment right now. If I were to ever look back on my life, what moment and decision would I be more proud of? That mm -hmm. I flaked on myself and gave up something early without, and really no other evidence that something bad was going to happen to me other than my own, you know. Uncertainty. Uncertainty, yeah, worrying about something that hasn't happened yet. The whole medicine and doctor thing, that was not committing to the medicine. I actually was very honest when I applied to medical school that I wasn't 100% sure. I was sure this was something I would be interested in and could be really good at, but I wasn't sure. I can't predict things that have never happened. I was very honest about that. And I think that's what they liked the most was the story of the Egypt complimenting me in, in interviewing in front of them, saying, this is me as a person. I'm a real human being. You're going to take me as I am. Reject me. Go ahead. Like, if you reject me and I got rejected ever, I was fully prepared to check that box off and know it's not meant to be a doctor. Be happy with that story. Have my Oprah Winfrey story. I failed something and now I can run a travel blog or something. And then be done with it and not have to have that haunted, haunting me the rest of my life, not at least trying. But if I got in, then I would be very grateful for the opportunity knowing that people would murder to like get in, be in my shoes. Like people would kill to get the opportunity to go to med school follow through, but not give up any other things I had in my life because I was also committed to those things. It was very much part of me, the bartending, the traveling, uh, and just keep doing it until I failed out, check that box off, me done with it, or just keep doing it until... Now, you have no regrets. Absolutely none. Because it seems like you are doing well for yourself. You gained quite a following. Norm shared your Instagram with me. Usually people, when, when guests come on, I don't know much. I, I, I want to be curious, honestly curious throughout the podcast. As we kind of talked about, yeah. um, I'm not down with the script format. So any future guests, if you're watching, don't send me anything. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> New prep questions. I enjoy your interviews. Oh, thank you. You're being interviewed by some legends. I saw like Katie Couric. You had an interview with her. How was that? So funny. It was originally going to be an IG live, but I think her phone was stuck on Bluetooth. So it was like three attempts and she, we just couldn't hear her. You could hear me. And then she felt really bad. And she ca literally called me right afterwards, like to my direct number. And it's like, hey, it's Katie Couric. I'm really sorry. Like a friend. Damn, uh, she's so dope. Yeah, she's so yeah, down to earth. And she's like, I'm so sorry. That was so embarrassing. Like, how can I just, how can I, you know, what? let me just do something actually formal for you. So it's like permanent, not some IG live that like, you know, if the right people there at the right time, they'll catch it. But like with you, let's do something that's like, I think it's something solid because you've been so patient. And I was pretty chill with it. I was like, I'm just grateful that you want to do an IG live with me. Right. How, how do they get around to choosing which doctor to interview? I have no idea. You know, I mean, when you get a call from saying, hey, Katie Couric wants to talk to you. I'm like, okay. Was somebody at the hospital must have, must have you know, came up to you, right? And said, hey, do you want to do an interview no, with people ABC? In the, people in hospital administration, <laughs> the last thing they want to do is have a doctor, especially a freelance, you mm -hmm. know, per diem, gun for hire mercenary, right. like the way I act. <laughs> so to like speak freely <laughs> about the hospital, what's going on, because I have no ties. I'm not full time anywhere mm -hmm. in any hospital system. I've only been per diem. So I have no, you know, nothing about like, having to say a certain way or check in with anyone because that's not, it wasn't in my contract, nor do I know anything about it, nor did anyone tell me. And I had signed a full-time contract, then I would have been gone through probably a media training or something, read mm -hmm. the media guidelines, but I didn't have that. You're per diem, come work, do some shifts. And, and, then and that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's what's, re what's refreshing while watching your interviews. It doesn't seem like a script. It honestly feels like, okay, this is what I think. This is what it is. This is what I experience. And here you go. Take this for what it is. I do sense a, a bit more danger in that sense. Has anyone in the medical community kind of reached out to you and say, hey, Calvin, like, you know, kind of put a filter on it or chill out? Never. Zero. Never, ever, ever, ever. I think because 
I am per diem at so many different hospital systems, you can't track me down to one place. So that provides some value that I can actually comment on multiple administration, uh, multiple hospital systems without having to check in with administrations uh, because it's unvarnished. Every day I'm in a different uh, emergency room. Uh, unlike a full-time, which is only stuck in one hospital system for 10, 20, 30 years. It's all they know. Uh, it's good for me because I get a big eyes view. Like if I'm running a PP in one place, I also know that it's not personal. And it's not just particular to one place and my life isn't destroyed because I know another place in, in New York City, a different hospital system, is also running a PP. Another one's running a PP. So I know it's a citywide problem. So it's nobody's fault. I didn't sign the wrong job. Right. Other doctors who sign full-times may know this in their head but may not feel that way because they actually haven't worked in other hospital systems because they don't have possible privileges at other time, other places because they only sign full-time at one place. Now, what you're doing is rare, right? You... The- being a, I guess, a freelance doctor. What's the proper term for, for what you do? Per diem. So being a per diem doctor, is that extremely rare? Extremely rare. So it's something where I'm perfectly comfortable, you know, depending on myself. I don't need the stability because I create that stability for myself. I'm self-assured in my ability to schedule myself and have enough places to work because I credentialed everywhere. And because you can't track me down, I can't really get in trouble because if one doctor who's full-time says something that's a little controversial, you just Google that doctor and you find them you know, tied to that one hospital. And now it's like, right. that hospital now has run out of PPE. Uh, and they're in trouble. With me, you Google me and you'll see this hospital, that hospital, this hospital. You see my LinkedIn, it was a 10, 20 different hospitals. And you're just like, city has run out of PPE. And then administrators can come down and say, yeah, I just saw you on TV, what you did. Fascinating, amazing. Because now we're getting all these donations from everyone because you literally said on TV, give it to everyone. Yeah, you called some shit out, man, during yeah. some of these interviews. During the first wave, I know that there was a lot of people in the medical community who didn't feel like they had the proper support and they were, or the proper scheduling or the proper guidelines. What was that like when the first wave of people started coming in? It was this unforgiving shit show. I get the shit show being overwhelmed by the amount of people coming into the emergency room, but what about internal staff? Were there some sense of organization there? It's just, we've been talking about how unsustainable the healthcare system was for years before even a pandemic rolled around the corner. So all that did was just clarify things we've been complaining about for 10, 20 years. It was just, so it highlighted and it really highlighted. Yeah, it didn't create stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah, it was just, these were problems before a pandemic and, we, and it happened. We were like, and now we're eating it right now. And you had all the time in the world to prevent all this and you didn't. All we could do is sound the alarm bells. I mean, I was a med student and resident at the time, so I was in training. So it was only so much time I can be an advocate. By the time I became a, uh, an attending, I'm pretty new as an attending, then pandemic hit. So when it came for me to witnessing all this, I just you know, presented it as it was on my social media, unvarnished. I mean, other than you know, maintaining patient privacy, I just showed it where it was. I mean, you couldn't tell where it was because they didn't matter. Uh, I just wanted to show there was a citywide problem because I had unique access to many different hospital systems, unlike majority of doctors. And the reason why you ask why so many people don't do or so many doctors don't choose that lifestyle is because if you sign per diem, you don't have benefits. You don't have a regular salary. You can only get paid for the jobs you can find. And a lot of doctors need stability. They want a schedule to tell you when to go to work and everything. Because after years and years of training and student and whatever, adulting is really hard. It's already stressful enough to find an apartment if you've been a med student after being a college student, after being a high school student. Well, all your friends are probably married and having kids because they like partied out, you know, the years after college. You end up 
saying like, oh my God, I have to like figure out an apartment, have to figure out like, you know, how, who to settle down with. And you're going to ask me to like figure out my schedule? No, no, I'll, I'll sign full time. So throughout all that, you had the option of not working. And many people would have probably said, you know what? Fuck that. This yeah. is a complete shit show. I'm going to wait till things die down and I'll jump back in. But I mean, first of all, thank you for trying to do your part. What made you kind of want to run into the fire when you didn't have to? You had no obligation to do that. But that's exactly what you did. I mean, it feels like you're setting me up because this is like my life, though. Like, it's tr- it's true. I mean, I, I always have said, and when I say setting up means I always say myself, I made a habit to always run into the fire. I'm, I always made it a habit to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. But this time you're risking your life well, and, and I, everyone around you. And you, we, at the beginning of this, we didn't even know what this really was. Sure. Should we wear masks? Should we not? Should we distance ourselves? And how fast can this kill us? There were so many questions and different symptoms for so many. They're just, the variables was just insane. It's like love, man. That's, I mean, the best thing I can describe it is it's love. You, love is a temporary form of insanity. I chose to be per diem because of love in a different aspect of my thought at the time. But you don't know unless you're put in the position in your hot seat. You can think of all the things that woulda, coulda, shoulda, wouldn't it does happen. But when it actually does happen, you might surprise yourself. And for me, when I signed up to be a per diem and not a full time, I wanted the option of sitting out things and be like, you know what? I don't want to bring it home to my you know, mom who has Parkinson's disease. I don't want to bring to my you know, people I love. And nobody friends. would blame you for that. Right. That's and, totally I mean, I have understandable. To, and I have the ability to. I have, I've made enough money as a bartender, saved enough, you know, doing odd jobs here and there to like maybe sit out a pandemic for a few months. You know, then I get a little worried, but that's why we have, you know, um, you know, rainy day funds and stuff. But what happened was the exact opposite. And I was surprising myself after the fact. But then you can go back to the med school thing. I had no idea I wanted to be a doctor until after the fact. You can go to Steve Jobs quote on like, it doesn't make sense when you move forward trying to connect the dots. It only makes sense when you look back and like, oh, this is why I did all these things. That's mm. love. That's when you know you did something that was beyond all logic. You can think this is what I meant to do. So you follow through. But if that came to be the case, your life would be so boring if everything came exactly to how your brain planned it out. Your heart is what actually makes what makes it means to be human. When you go in knowing that it may hurt you, may kill you, but you know you just feel like you have to. I understand if you have a good support system. In this case, like you have the PPEs and and the the right uh, tools to go into war. Still, I'm going to move forward, even oh, yeah. though, oh yeah, I don't have the proper support. And everyone else around me is frustrated. And then you're seeing bodies dropping left and right. And it's hard to keep up at this point. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, you could get traumatized from that. I, who says I'm not? That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, how do you not get traumatized? What I would feel extremely overwhelmed to live through that again. I don't know if I want to go through that again. And then, I, I mean, just looking at some of the prints on their face from wearing the mask for so many hours. I mean, it's just insane what you guys do. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, you can think about it like, I hate to, now, I don't want to glorify war, but you can just best describe it as how we treat our veterans, you know, like how we send them in, you know, fighting for some politics they don't probably really don't quite fully agree with or whatever that may be. But we really asked of them, uh, my friends who have served, it's really because of the people they work with. They do it for their brothers. Wait for you all. I can I mean, understand that. I, I mean, I'm, I want to be gender neutral. Like, I, I did it for my colleagues. Uh, and I don't want to make this cliche, but I had to think about it. I've definitely thought all those things. Like, why am I going in? Like, I could always sit this out. But the idea was, like, 
you know, I had I had some mild form of PTSD, PTSD where from March to April I would wake up every day, <gasps> like I have a fever. Yeah. Oh my god, it's like mm. saying waking up thinking you've been shot. But like in war, you get shot, you go home. You know that day of that you get shot in the moment. Like okay, I'm going home. Here, like I had to wait 25 days until I had symptoms. Like I got exposed, someone coughed at me. I didn't have enough PP. Oh crap! But I had to wait 25 days. So after that, I had to reset the clock, and that was just horrifically like just just got to me when I'd go to work. But then you can be numb to it, which is what the, the scary part is. But I, I'm lucky that I have a really good support system. I created a mantra for myself to take care of myself after my dad died when I was young. My med school days, all that was, I've always run into fires. So I was always okay to bounce back up. There is a sense of healing when you are have this autonomy. I chose to go into work. No one told me to go in. That's a hugely, makes a huge difference. Hugely, huge difference when you're full-time, which I wasn't. Imagine being told to go in. Mm. Me as per diem, I was a mercenary. I was like, I want to go in. And I think that made a huge difference of like, okay, I chose this. It's, it's, I can't have anyone to blame but myself. Um, but then the, the risk reduction, I did it for my colleagues. If I chose not to go in that day, that ER would have to scramble to find someone else and they can't, they got to shut down. There's no doctor oh, because the doctor was getting sick. And if that ER shuts down, other ERs will get overwhelmed. I'm not trying to say that I was so important that if I didn't go to that work one day, the, it would fall like dominoes. I understand every piece of a cog. But every little bit counted. Yeah, if absolutely. I started to say no, what if- Tell that to the person that you were helping. Yeah, I'm sure you were everything to them. I definitely, I yeah. mean, I, I remember like getting texts like, can you fill me in tomorrow? I'm like, oh God, it's my only day off. Yeah, uh, fine. You know, I'll go. It's just because it's a different ER and they may have different PPE that I could find to like cobble together my like my, my PPE, like Iron yeah. Man, like, oh, I'm missing a mask. <laughs> I know that, that ER might have it. And that's how you framed it. That's how I was able to go in all the time. It was like trying to find a good in everything. Okay, I'll go in even though I'm exhausted because that ER might have a PPE that I'm missing because I, my mask is now eight days old. I need a new N95. Maybe that ER has a face shield because my face shield is two weeks old. Right. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's good to see this, you know, a couple of nurses that I need to catch up with, right. you know, just to say hi. Or this right. is a neighborhood with a really nice coffee shop that's down the street. I always wanted to go there. I always try to find the good in things to make me go in. And once I go in, I just start working and I just in it. A silver lining. But that's, that's love. You know, you, you do something that's, that's a temporary form of insanity. You do things that even though it might hurt you in the moment, you do it anyway because your your emotions feel compel you to in a good way. And you know what we say, like people two people going to love each other but not be right for each other. There is a limit. And I definitely after May of last year when everything cooled down, I set a limit for myself. I was like, okay, now the crisis is over. I'm still alive. Now with all this privilege I have by staying alive, having stayed alive the last three months by May 2020 when everything's now chill, the lockdowns took effect, I need to step back and now establish boundaries so this never happens to me again because my luck can only run so far. And that's when the part of the love, when you reassess the relationship. It's like, hey, is this healthy? Have we gotten over a hump? Can we now make sure this never happens again? Can we fight well together? I mean, it's all about human relationships, I think, that taught me that. Did you lose any colleagues? Many. Wow. Like other I mean, nurses, I, I, doctors? It doesn't, even, it doesn't even matter. If the, I have to know them personally. Yes, of course I knew them personally. The head nurse at Kings County Hospital, where I went to medical school, and I was an attending. Wow. Maria, I, I know plenty of people who got sick, attendings who have stopped working, or people who've lost their jobs, and let alone the people who've died. But I mean, I don't have to know you personally like I knew Maria, for example. It's the 2,000, 3,000 colleagues that have died. They're all one of us. The, 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 the people who you know, do environmental services, the people who clean, the people who you know, are security staff, right. the people who deliver our supplies, they also got sick. Without them, we would all collapse. And all of us, as you said, played a piece in that, always showing up. When so many other people have fled New York City, I mean, people have their reasons, but you know, I, I, I'm not built with that. I'm not built like that. And everyone's different. My DNA said to stay yeah. and just keep doing it, even if it meant I could bring it home. But 
I scrubbed the crap out of myself and got <laughs> naked, and, you know, in the hallway, you know, luckily everyone left and moved out. So I felt comfortable <laughs> being naked and then, like got jumped in the shower and like I did hot, you know, hot laundry every, every night, like sacrificing my sleep. So I had a new fresh pair going in over and over until we found out that it doesn't spread by surfaces. Fast forward to now. Yeah. Ooh. Things appear to be normalizing. I mean, before we went on, we were talking about how we both experienced some traffic today. First time in a long time. Um, I mean, if you want to look at the silver lining in that, people are coming back out. Is the worst over or has are we still in a really bad position? Depends how you define worst. Worst um, in the beginning? Or like people dying, people like a pandemic. So what about the PTSD is happening like, right now. Just in terms of the spread. I mean, there's an argument that the worst is over. And and that's why a lot of people are coming back out. I mean, you see tons of people on the street with no mask now, right? Because they're lifting the mask mandate in a lot of areas. There's tons of people without masks. Without masks. I get a little nervous, right? But, you know, even so, though I'm vaccinated. But then there's another side, and they may not be wrong, where they're saying the worst is not over. In fact, this is the worst it's ever been. So and I, I thought you'd be the perfect person to ask. Well, do you know, know what's going on in India right now? Oh, I'm well aware of what's going on in India. I actually tried to help facilitate... Um, uh, a lot of these nonprofits and yeah. uh, other companies to send supplies over there. Taiwan, they're going through 700 deaths a day or something, 700 cases a day. Mm -hmm. they're, like, they're, they're going through what we went through. Right, and they haven't been vaccinated as fully, thoroughly as we have. So it's a kind of flipped. We were watching them live normal lives last year. They're watching us live normal lives where they're on their lockdown. And it's scary to be on an island too, like kind of like Manhattan in the zombie apocalypse. So... Is the worst over? Depends on who you're asking, where you are. I mean, there's the relative of privilege. Uh, as also, like, what do you define as worse? I mean, in terms of pure virology and infection, we have a vaccine now, so it can't be as worse as last year because last year we had no information, no data, no idea whether it spread by surfaces, not enough PPE, not enough funding, not enough staffing. People were laying off staff before pandemic was rolling around because they lost money from being told not to have elective surgery so hospitals couldn't pay healthcare workers, so they laid off even more staff even before a pandemic came around to their zip code. So, and people were, and healthcare workers dying unnecessarily and other people were dying, we just didn't know enough and we didn't have vaccinations. Now we have vaccinations, we know have all this data, we know how to take care of it, we have more funding, we have PPE, um, but it's still people repeating the same behaviors over and over again to perpetuate this and now we're seeing in India and Taiwan, it's kind of like, I guess it's the, it, you wanted to find worse in human behavior and entitlement and the fact that people are not learning or nor do they care. Uh, that's well, that's humans, right? We have short term memories. That's the worst in a different sense. Or the worst about the people who are going to kill themselves. Like, sorry, trigger warning. Sorry, I'm going to pull that back. Trigger warning with people who are going to you know, lose their livelihoods and, or end their lives prematurely because they felt abandoned. Uh, you're talking to a, a group of people, doctors, who are um, ending their lives at a rate twice the national average even before a pandemic. That's crazy. So what do you expect is going to happen afterwards when we feel abandoned and lost our colleagues right. and we stuck, stuck it through because it's war. But then when we come back, think about what we, how we treat our veterans, how the veterans, you know, it, it, like really endure after the war is over. Right. The war is never over. So do you think this is going to be like a game of hot potato? I hope not. I hope that, I mean, I also believe that was very dire, by the way, but I also believe in the goodness of humanity that we've always rose to the occasion. I mean, we created a, a working vaccine with a very low risk 
profile within a year uh, based on 40 years of research. Finally, it was prime time. It's kind of like electric cars. We had the technology for uh, like 40, 50 years. And only now the people are like, oh, my God, it's good for the environment. And now people are catching on when it didn't in the 80s. Like these are all gives me hope. Like, yeah, we had all this stuff already, but now people are buying in. People are buying into like, you know, you know, being more responsible and green or plant based, or, you know, right. and these are all things that will hopefully like answer your question on like, is it the game of hot potato or is it finally taking the potato and burying it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it just takes one of us to like finally just say enough is enough and with this end the cycle. So I'm holding out hope for that. Uh, I do see semblance of that. I think there's always pro- an arc towards progress, but it's a progress of like a stock market where it goes up and down, up and down, sure. up and down, but it still always eventually goes up. Yeah, I just read a report this morning on my way here saying that um, the second shot uh, primarily with uh, young adults now that is available for 12 to 15 year olds and where they can experience heart inflammation on the fourth day during the second shot mostly in young males mm-hmm. uh, what is there any link between the covid shots and heart inflammation they're being extremely extremely careful because you look at the numbers the incidence of myocarditis which is another word for heart inflammation is exactly the same as a general population that's unvaccinated so there's no increase in relative risk they're just saying that because they're just trying to be hyper aware so that nobody can use it as a part of an anti-vax program. So they're just saying they're trying to beat them to the gun. All right. So they're coming forward before somebody else can yeah, kind yeah, of take the like, story and spin it. It's like you hurt your partner. It's better just to be upfront in the beginning before they find out and that you're trying to hide it. Mm-hmm. Right. It's better just be forthcoming before right, it Because they're going to be like, why are you hiding it for? It's, There's it's more the lesser, to this? It's the lesser of two evils. So, but if you really look at the numbers, it's exactly the same as a general population before the vaccine. So is it something to be worried about? Nothing but the alternative. What if you catch COVID as a 12 to 15 years old, year old? Your incidence of clots, heart inflammation, other sequelae, long-term COVID is way higher than the incidence of heart inflammation that self-resolves after getting vaccinated. So would you prefer the alternative? Now, if COVID was stuck in a different part of the world and it's not in New York, or in the United States of America. It's like asking yourself to get a rabies vaccine. You love animals, I love animals. But do you need to get a rabies vaccine? Until you, unless you're becoming a veterinarian, hold off until you actually get bitten by a bat or a skunk. Why, why not? But no, we, everyone loves animals. Why just in, in vaccine everyone rabies? No, I don't see any anti-rabies vaccine campaign. But we don't have that privilege when it comes with COVID. COVID is literally everywhere. You cannot leave your apartment and still die of COVID. That's how my grandfather died. He never left the apartment and he's dead. Well, I'm sorry I, to hear uh, that. Wow. And so yeah, we, we also knew a couple of people that never left their apartment yeah. except to throw away the garbage. Yep. And they contracted COVID. Well, somebody can cough in the hallway and they can step out the door after like 10 minutes later, somebody coughs in the hallway not knowing it's been carpet bombed. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I need to at least, can I just like open the doorway to see like, you know, if the coast is clear so I can dump out my garbage as they open the door and they inhale it. You know, they don't know. That's, how, that's COVID. You don't have that privilege to let COVID be another part of the world so you can decide whether to get the vaccine. COVID is everywhere. So the risk reduction is, would you rather more likely get COVID and have an, a heart inflammation that's permanent with, for your child? Is that the best gift you can give to your child? Or the risk reduction by getting a vaccine that prevents COVID? And yes, it has inflammation, but it's the same as the general population before a vaccine and it self-resolves. COVID does not self-resolve if you have long-haul symptoms. Right. right. So it's about risk reduction. You don't have that privilege to choose anymore. It's all around you. So now the only choice you have is whether to do right by someone considering the circumstances. Now, where do you think people get these notions that there is something in these vaccines? The leading conspiracy or ideas, whoever, depending on who you ask, but 
it, there's a, a microchip in it and there's some type of metals mm-hmm. or, and that's become wildly popular and and that's causing a lot of people to be hesitant. I mean, whether we want to go, oh, and brush it off, that's just stupid people conspiracy. Well, let me tell you, because of those, uh, uh, I guess, rumors, there are a good portion of human society that refuses to take the vaccine because of that. Why do they exist? Where do you think that comes from? Fear of the unknown. They're afraid. You have to consider the fact that we just went through a lockdown pandemic, something that's never happened in anyone's lifetimes, uh, unless you were around in 1918 Spanish flu, or you were there for SARS in, in Asia, nothing in this worldwide since 1918, to have a lo- worldwide lockdown, to go through something that's so unknown and fearful where you have to lock down and prevent from socializing. And you know you feel like your youth or your year was stolen from you and not only that, you don't have the opportunity to declare yourself as an individual because you're doing what everyone else is doing and you're being told what to do. That makes it worse than the fact being told what to do yeah. in a place where you thought you have all this freedom. Of course, you're going to be unsure and not know what you're locking down for. And if you that unknown is is a huge source of that fear. Now, in that fear, what do you then do? You do a lot of things that you won't normally do if you're in a good place. When you're in a vulnerable place, you start to believe things in order to justify your your doubts. Because we were locking down, not because we saw tanks rolling down the street from somebody invading our country. We're not locking down because we see a giant tsunami come in and destroying our homes or a giant forest fire. It's an invisible enemy. We don't know what goes on behind the walls of a hospital or an emergency room. So as a result, because we don't know what we're locking down for, we feel insignificant. We feel powerless. We feel emasculated, if you want to think it like that. We feel fragile. We feel like there's this out something out there. We we start to doubt things because don't, we're not. It's not tangible. And as a result, you start to doubt anything given by an authority figure. And once you start posting, or once you start having confirmation bias of your doubts by some you know person who makes up a rumor, you start to feel validated in a way that you haven't been during the lockdown. You finally see someone else sees you. Oh, like you have, your doubts become verified and valid, even if it may be illogical because emotions, right? Emotions are not supposed to be logical. Your emotions suddenly are validated by a piece of writing, a prose by a complete stranger. And if you repost that, other people feel the same, right? I'm going to give you likes and I'm going to repost you. And then all of a sudden you become more validated and then you feel like you get your 15 minutes of fame, even with the wrong reasons, you now have this individuality back again. And as a result from that fear, you get sucked in because who cares if it's inaccurate or accurate? I feel good. This endorphin hit, this drug like rush from being from getting these likes and being seen in a, in, a, in a year when I was told to lock down and not socialize. All of a sudden, my socialize was all these people, amazing people from the world, the world who thinks the same way I do. I feel seen. And then it just becomes a, a, a long, you know, Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole where you get sucked in. And that's why things like... You know, I'm not going to say their names because I don't want to validate it. But, you you know, post-election drama and craziness where people understandably do things out of fear. And as a result, they don't want to leave because that's what drug addiction is like. The endorphin rush. People know heroin is bad for you. People know that cocaine is bad for you if you do too much of it. But you do it anyway because it's just an emotional thing that you can't pull away from. You could say that about toxic relationships. You can say that about toxic masculinity or whatever. That's just like this. I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway because it makes me feel good. It doesn't make it right. 
it's, you're actually hurting other people. But in the individual sense, it's like, oh, what, what difference does it make anyway? I'm just one person. It does add up. And that's why it exists. I didn't look at it that deeply in terms of, of endorphin hits and, and people continuing to subscribe to this. People have been locked up for so long that they're just looking for any belief system to feel like they're back in control. I, I, I find that fascinating. I do think there's another camp that uh, may not be just educated enough about well, this where they where they're looking for answers where there's no trust between right. themselves and government or themselves and the medical community or even they're historically they've they've been um uh where the government did oh, yeah, vaccinations uh towards the african-american community absolutely tuskegee yeah, henry Lax. no that's very valid and i totally validate that reason uh, I'm not black, so I will never be able to understand what they go through, but I do know about the bioethics of that and why they would distrust. And definitely that makes total sense. But my concern with that is they're giving into the exactly to the racist system that was designed to make them do that. Do you understand? Can you elaborate further on that? That the a system that created Tuskegee, that allowed for Tuskegee syphilis experiments to exist, and a society that allows for Henrietta Lacks to be exploited, uh, is the same very system designed to make a whole community now distrust things that might actually save their lives. That's the whole point, to create that lack of thereof so that the people who should be getting vaccines because they're so underserved in terms of health now distrust it. But do, can you imagine that's exactly what the, a racist system is designed to do to make you shoot yourself in the foot so you'll never get ahead, that you always will perpetuate generations and generations of being underserved in terms of health and access? So they want to keep them ignorant. That's the That's the my issue with the system. It's designed. It's doing exactly how it's designed. A system allowed for Tuskegee syphilis experiments to exist. That's horrific. But that's the same kind of system that exists now, where it's just like, great, look, they don't want to get the vaccine, so they're just shooting themselves in the foot. So they'll never get ahead. I'm not saying I'm not saying there's one person out there that would constantly believe this, but it's, the system was designed to create a have and have not. It was designed to create sure. privilege and people who lack privilege. What better way to create a lack of privilege than have yourself be your own enemy? To have a circular firing squad to hold your community back by saying, I don't trust the vaccine because it's Tuskegee. Valid reason, but the behavior is actually hurting your own community because the community needs to get vaccinated, but you're deciding not to. Of course, the, the status quo that profits from a privileged and non-privileged system of, of racism is going to benefit, only stands to benefit from that. Actually, the work is being done for them in the same way as divide and conquer when it comes to apartheid. You have, you know, right. races fighting amongst each other rather than working together because they all distrust each other. To fight from, against the real enemy. And the status quo maintains its power. That's exactly, that's what I have concerns where, you know, it's designed. I mean, the whole idea of how people make money is to create a system where some people have it and some people don't. If everyone had everything, everyone was all equally healthy, if everyone had equal, you know, Im positive body images of themselves, the entire industries would fall. You will make no profit if everyone was hunky-dory, happy, and, you know, feeling good about themselves and feeling they have everything. So in a sense, money does make the world go around, but it's, perhaps in the wrong way. It's not about what you do, it's how you do it. It's not, I, you know, it's not about the money itself, it's how, it's money being, how is money being made and used that's, that can be evil. Right, correct. You it's, can use it for good, but most people stand. That's what get you do rich. with the tool. Some people stand to get rich quick by you know cutting some corners, and sometimes that cutting those corners are actually human lives. Now that said, mm. there has been a lot of reputable news outlets, other channels, and sources of information where they said when you put this under a microscope, they they think that there's a strong case where this can perhaps be 
made out of a lab. There's a difference between when you say made out of a lab and the what of it all, in, or rather what's more believable, it was how it came out from the lab. Wuhan is the location of their CDC. It's perfect, and their biohazard um, uh, standard of containing viruses is on a level that's not the same as our CDC, if you want to see it that way. There have been a couple of outbreaks there, uh, and it's more right. people to believe that's that true. it's not intentional. Someone just brought it to the lab to the only food, fish mar- far, uh, food market, animal market to eat food in Wuhan. Perfectly believable that someone accidentally brought it from the lab on their coat jacket or in their self, coughed, and then that's where it was. Was it intentional? Was it designed to destroy us? That's a harder argument to make. Right. I think it's right. more, they had a lot of mishaps, if you really look into it in the before pandemic, of like, you know, it's really hard to create a CDC to get all those biohazards. Human nature, we're, we're imperfect creatures. We only learn by doing mistakes. But this is some, a mistake that you want to afford. And when you create a CDC lab in China, in Wuhan, it's going to take a lot of growing pains because it's not, it's not exactly like the United States is sharing all the information with China. Hey, this is how to do it. We don't do that. We don't share that information. It's politics or whatever that may be. It's not the UN is like, here's how to do a CDC because we're in uncharted territories. Hmm. We've never destroyed smallpox and polio the way in our generation has. But to contain it, that's the ongoing learning process. So do you think that that's where it originated from? Occam's always, lab oh, then- yeah, always believe in Occam's razor. What is the most believable explanation is usually the most correct one. So with all the things of learning pains of trying to do a CDC, they try to create a virulent form, which is a known research project even before COVID. Uh, and if it's true that not a single pangolin or any animal was diagnosed with COVID or had COVID uh, when they did the pathology of that time, it's very likely that someone just brought it in to that area. It's in Boston Magazine. Uh, did the whole thing about this person had no uh, secondary gain in order to expose this research and it's it's a valid theory. it makes a lot of sense if that's true now if they did find a pangolin with covid in their dna or some kind of variation coronavirus or a bat in the area that's more believable then it could be a mixture of the two uh the fact that the that it was brought down from a zoonotic spread i mean keep in mind that it's still zoonotic that the, the structure of the virus mm-hmm. is still natural. It came from, and all you got to do is take something natural, take it to a lab, and just evolve it in a controlled setting. So that you want to see how viruses, you want, that's how you create, that's how you do any research. You put in a controlled setting. And sometimes it's hard to control something so easily uncontrollable. You think that that's what they did? They wanted to evolve it and but see what they can learn from it? It's not an if. We do that anyway. I did that for my you know, high school project. I took breast cancer cell lines and I you know, tried to make it, in, tried to learn how it's so invasive by putting in cell lines in different aspects. Because what a lot of people are saying, that's my high school paper. Much sinister. No, it's, it's, right. no, we have to do that research. The only way to know and understand, destroy our enemy is to understand and research our enemy. Why do you think aliens take over and you know, abduct us if you want to believe in that route? They want to research us in case, you know, I mean, it's, what do, how do we learn an enemy? To get an enemy to come behind their lines and tell them how everything works. That's how we do with viruses. That's how we learn how to technology beat viruses. Technology too. We warfare. have to basically, yeah, anything, warfare, technology. We're doing that right now in our labs all the time, taking viruses and making it more virulent. It so was that's my, normal. That's it was my high thing. school paper. That's how I got into college. <laughs> well, he's talking about research, right? So it's right. normal to do the research on viruses in the environment, you know, in animals. Yeah. And I'd somehow, somehow it, it's probable, probable, very probable that 
somehow accidentally um, do the human error, it latched on and, and somehow spread. So they inhaled it. Right. You know, you know? Listen, you're an asymptomatic right, spreader and you go to the Wuhan market because you want to buy you know, meat for your whatever family yeah. and then you... The boom, banquet. There right. you go. Boom. Oh shit, it came from a lab. And when they hear it for the first time, they think, oh, there's this no, sinister plan. No, it's not that it came from a lab. To weaponize. But the lab took the virus from something that came from an animal. I didn't invent breast cancer in my high school paper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> breast cancer, I just took cell lines from an existing breast cancer source outside mm-hmm. the lab to the research in the lab. That's exactly right. what, how we do all research. Right. I'm surprised more viruses haven't so spread that way. So it's not a sexier story than what it really is. It's no, nothing outside the norms of what people do in, with viruses. And if you, we even know that the structure of the virus and coronavirus has some origins in zoonotic spread. It's a naturally occurring thing that we've isolated from the bat. It's perfectly viable to believe someone took a bat, coronavirus that we see all the time that spreads like crazy stars or whatever, and then brought it to the lab to research it, just like what I did for high school, just like anyone listening right now who wants to get into college or medical school is doing right now before they put it into minus 70. And then, you know, it ha- happened to be in a CDC where it's a little more virulent, you know, samples, and that's their job. And then... You know, they inhaled it by accident because it's a virus. You can't see it. And they brought it to the market and whatever. I mean, that's vi- as valuable or it's spread from the market. Right. It could also believable that it, it came from a pangolin. We haven't isolated those cell samples yet. Right. But maybe we, we missed that pangolin that got slaughtered and eaten and just, you know, whatever. I don't know how the WHO does it. But, you know, there's a research in there um, tracking down. What do you call that? Tracking down the source of patient right, zero. Patient zero. But, you know, it... it and they, both, I don't think they were successfully able to do th- that. Th- th- both theories look equally the same. I mean, time course, it doesn't, it doesn't... It's not adding up to that. But in terms of where the virus comes from, it does come from a zoonotic source. But, I mean, to, to think that it came sinister from a lab is equally believable that every high school student working in a lab right now <laughs> is trying to kill all of us. Okay. By trying to go into college. That said, we all understand the risks associated with not getting COVID shots vaccines what are some of the risks with getting a covid vaccine i don't know um doing one on push-ups the next day like me (laughs) i've never done one on push-ups in my life until after i got the shot are you serious not that many 35 that was my record that's that was my record the day after i got my first no sorry my record is after i got the second shot okay i got i did 40 because what i hear is like the first shot people feel fine yeah uh even my dad he said when he got, my dad got his first shot, he said, oh, I feel strong. Yeah. I feel okay. strong. I feel great. So it's funny that you it's just. Like steroids. It sounds like you're joking, but it's funny that you say it because my dad, and if I didn't know better, I would think that, you know, you're, you're kind of making you're, fun of me. But my, my. Your dad sounds like a cool guy. Yeah. My dad was like, hey, he's, uh, he's, I feel much stronger after the first shot. And he got a second shot and he was, yeah, all right. I was down for a little bit, about 24 hours. But after that, I felt like a champ. Yeah. It's fine. I mean, it's majority. You're, you're asking the question in the context of what a majority of people go through, and the side effects is very minimal. It's point zero 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 eight percent or something that have that like clots, but you know that's for Johnson and Johnson. Johnson Johnson. Point zero 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 six zero. So it's point zero 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 eight percent. And it has to be a specific type. 
if you don't get it and you get COVID instead, it's 20% to get clots. 20% of COVID people get clots. So would you rather have 20% or 0.000008%? Oh, but, but I, I don't want to introduce in my body. Well, you don't have that privilege because COVID is everywhere. See, it's so hard when you speak with someone smart. COVID is <laughs> everywhere. He's, he's, they'll, he's, they'll he's just constantly debunking things. He's backing like, up ah, with statistics. Ah, though, ah, you know? And he's like, damn, you're using science and numbers. No, it's, 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 it's also like the shit, the, the shit that you ate in second grade and that cafeteria is way worse than any of the stuff that they put in the vaccines for the mRNA. It's a pure, it's more mm. pure than the, the, the old school vaccines that we have. You're literally asking me like, oh, I don't know about these Teslas or these electric cars. They seem a little dangerous. They're untested science. I don't know about these electric cars. And like, okay, would you rather drive with a gasoline power? fuel tank uh, in, a, in a regular car driving through people shooting at you. Mm. It's COVID. COVID is the things that going bullets back and forth. You have no privilege thinking that COVID is somewhere else right now. COVID is everywhere. So bullets are flying everywhere. Mm-hmm. Would you rather drive a car filled with gasoline or an electric car? I don't know. The electric car is new science. I can't really believe it. Mm. The car, electric car has been around since 1970. Just nobody decided to use it or buy it until like now. Oh, it wasn't made mainstream. Yeah. So we and asking you, oh, what about the COVID? Well, that's like asking to paint a Tesla red. I don't know. It sounds pretty hard. You know, putting it, telling an MRI vaccine to, hey, this is COVID. Try to protect against COVID is like saying, hey, can you paint a Tesla car red? You got seven months. And to test it out, too. I don't know if people can, like, sit in a car with a Tesla that's red. Uh, okay. Seven months. You got it. I could do it in seven minutes, but I'll just give me seven months and all this money to, like, test it out. Right. Hey, seven months later. Hey, we tested 50,000 people driving red Teslas. They're doing okay. <laughs> now, some, oh, some, I don't know. Some would say, how, how do you explain some of the breakthrough infections then? Where... People are vaccinated, and when they get tested, they test positive for COVID-19 still. Yeah, 95% is not 100%. There's always a chance. 95% was the best we got. It's not 100%. I wasn't the best student in high school. Well, didn't they say it was actually better than what they thought it was? It was way better. 97.4% if you include all the deadly variants. Right. Mm -hmm. If you include all the deadly variants, it goes from, sorry, it's 95% not 100% for all infections. So if you include all the deadly variants, it's actually 76% for all the infections. But we don't care about infections. You get allergies all the time. You get the cold. You'll live. That's how it becomes stronger, to get sick. You know how I am able to drink the water in India? By drinking the water in India and getting sick. Get the bacteria in your right. right. Now I can drink the water in India. It saves me a lot of money. I don't have to buy all this bottled water and plastic water. So I'm saving the environment by drinking the water in India. Obviously, I don't recommend it to everyone. But I think my stomach's made out of steel. So I've done it. Mm. Um, Wait, you drank s- tap water in India? I, a little bit at a time. I got really, really what? sick. Uh, yeah, I got just really like a droplet, sick. Right? <laughs> I mean, it wasn't on purpose. I did it by accident. I didn't know the beer was watered down when I asked for the toddies, uh. and it was. It, and they was like, "Yeah, we, we had to add some water to it because you like literally drank three of our beers and we were running out, so we just <laughs> add some water to it." It's like, oh, you, oh my you're God. a tricky guy. And then oh I got sick. God. And I got sick. And I got sick so bad. And then the next time I had some water from India that was tapped, I didn't know. I was like, "Wait, I didn't get sick from that." It was like, "Yeah, that's what it calls inoculation." You you literally like and that's the same thing we it's okay to get those symptoms as long as it's not overwhelming the hospital systems vaccines are not designed to prevent infections they were never designed to prevent infections they were designed to prevent death and severe systems so our hospital system won't get overwhelmed that's why they inoculated or vaccinated smokers before teachers because if a smoker were to get COVID, it was a higher chance they would come and get intubated in an emergency room Mm. and thus losing a ventilator that could save the teacher with than a teacher getting COVID. So that's the whole point of vaccines, to prevent death and severe symptoms, which was 100% for Pfizer and Moderna and and Johnson & Johnson. But with the variants, it's actually 97.4%. Still pretty good. It's better than 0% protection. I want to get the uh, confirmation on this. I heard that if you get vaccinated, 
95% a chance that you won't be, you, uh, and if you catch COVID, you won't be able to spread it. Is that true? The data is trending towards that right okay. now. Uh, now we need more data and more time. The only way to know for sure right now at this point is a time machine. Because you just need a, a large amount of time. We just unrolled these vaccines earlier this year. You need to know after two to three years how many really pe people. I mean, we can accelerate that by doing parallel, you know, through different countries and how and previous things and try to merge the two to, in order to accelerate that time. But to really do it with a confidence right. is a t somebody from the future coming back in a time machine and going, hey, it works. But all the data is trending towards that direction. We have nothing to to. Uh, suggest that it does not mm. prevent transmission. But it has to be valid and verified, right. and that needs time. Yep. I remember last summer, I, it's, it's starting to feel the same, where people are coming out more, and hey, vitamin D, hey, sunlight kills COVID, and people are just coming out more, enjoying their lives. And when the winter hit, everyone kind of shelled up again, right? They're, they went back into isolation. Do you think that we're going to see a repeat of that? I know that we don't know for sure, I do understand that, but we didn't have the vaccine last summer. So do you think the numbers will look, trend more in a positive light and that we can live more normal lives come this winter? It depends. What happened to flu? Tell me what happened to flu. D zero cases, right? Why is that? Mask. Okay. So isolation. What happened before COVID? What happened with flu? What was flu doing to us every year? Oh, I was fucking us up. It's killing us. Yes, yeah. killing. So many people are dying from flu every year. Yeah. We swap everyone for flu every year. Yeah. But this year, no flu. What happened? Because you said you said it. You told me this. Mm -hmm. I didn't say anything about masks. Mm -hmm. You said the word N word. Mm -hmm. You said something about masks. So, to answer your question, it depends what human behaviors are next winter. So that's it. That's it. it as really long depends. as we don't get too comfortable, the destiny is in your hands. Whoever. So listening. keep the same guidance. It's Wear a mask. You. Get vaccinated. I wear a mask anyway I mean, in the winter. I mean, it's like so you're cold. sick, it makes sense, right? But also, you know, like, there's a lot of people listening that may yeah. hate us for saying yeah. some of this. Well, hate your recommendation for that. No, well, I, I wear a mask or, in the winter because it's cold. Right, right. Mm. Every year. But there's, yeah. there are Better people like, scarves. oh, you sheeple. You sheep. I can feel it right now. I go, this is, you know, I, I can feel it. Like, there's some people really? that are going to run into this podcast and go, you sheeple. I mean, I've never been surrounded by. I'm grateful that I've cut those people out of my life because honestly, oh, I don't, I, I don't have friends like that oh, within yeah. my circle. But I'm seeing people watching, commenting. In all fairness, actually, to be perfectly honest, in my experience last year, it's not as much as I expected in my end of the, you know, part of social media or my encounters with patients. But you're a doctor, friends. of course, you're not going to go no, into a doctor's place. I think the doctors got no. My colleagues' doctors got destroyed. What? Yeah. By who? Like conspiracy nuts? Or? Yeah, they went up. You know, I've, I had a little bit like people who thought like, oh, my God, he looks too good to be on camera. He's not a doctor. And I was like, I'll take this as a compliment. I said that. And one other Dr. Person, Hunk. Another person. Calling too, Dr. Hunk. And, another people, and one person was like, oh, he's too young. So he must be a crisis actor or whatever. And I was like, come to my hospital. And they actually showed up. And I was like, wow, you're a real doctor. <laughs> and so, oh, yeah, there was another thread. Or... It was 3D another, chess. There was another thread that was just like, oh, he, I looked him up um, because I didn't believe he was. And then he was like, wow, he's a really cool travel blog. He's the real. I want to go on his trips. And it's like, yeah, he's too cool. Oh, damn it. He's <laughs> like, I just want to hate. And I was like, you know what? This ain't bad. This is this is better than I. So I'm very grateful. I think I set high boundaries. I mean, all jokes aside, like these people, as I said, the reason why they're scared. And, you know, you don't want to. You know, it's, it, there's too much hate in the world so I don't really I either set high boundaries I don't deal with it it's so not worth my time is it, ask you is it really worth your time or is it entertaining it was really worth my time because I was entertained well they think I'm good looking huh. uh, you know I love the fact that you're a doctor and obviously everything you say 
can potentially hurt you if you say it in the wrong way. It doesn't sound like you're saying anything crazy to me. It's, it, it sounds smart, but you, you embrace it. You embrace all of these questions and you kind of go at it. Now, the reason I bring this up is because Norm and I, we know a few doctors. I have a few friends who are in that industry. And real doctors. Real doctors. Okay, just legit. Checking. I mean, I got it. Um, no, chiropractors. No, but, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I had chiropractors. No, no, no. Let's not make fun of other. No, no. I, I actually have a chiropractor. I'm talking about somebody that like add a doctor to their name as like, yo, you know, I like I sell like, CDs and I'm, you I know, get it. you know what I mean. I'm, I'm, well, they put no, no. Words if you put if you they put words and make it rhyme, you're a real doctor. <laughs> if you went to school, I don't want to throw anyone on the bus. We have friends that are doctors, and whenever we talk about this subject, especially at the beginning of COVID, they were very careful, and at times not really even give us an answer that we can, something that we can take home. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a scary part. I, you know, I, why I, is that? I think you just answered it. It's scary. I mean, in that fear, you, you don't want to say the wrong thing. But part of my medical training and the specialty that I've done, the, the essence of my training was to be decisive because time is not your friend in emergency medicine. So even if you could be wrong, because you have a lack of information when they come into your door, you may know nothing about the patient, what they ingested, the EMS may not know what the patient was there for, and you have to be decisive in doing something. They could be dangerous, could be not, but you don't have the privilege of knowing. And in that time, with, uh, uh, you know, as you get by yourself more time with the, the moves that you make, you then start to learn more information, and you learn how to adjust and be flexible. And undoing things that you may have, like, you know, so uh, I gave glucose to someone that could be hypoglycemic. I don't have a finger stick or something because the finger stick was down. And then we finally get a finger stick, and the glucose was high. So you just give a little insulin, and whenever you, you learn how to adjust, you know, and then you find out they actually ingested this poison, and you give the antidote. You know, even you gave another antidote, you then correct for that and whatnot. Because you don't have that privilege. It's, it's allowable because in that moment, it's better to do something than to do nothing and let the patient die when looking for information. Um, so that's my training. And there are other doctors who are specialized in things that I'll never be able to understand. There are so many other doctors who are way smarter than I am who may not have had the training in emergency medicine of being decisive and saying something like, this is what I know now and this is what I feel and this is what it makes most sense. Sometimes it's better to like hold back. and It's part of their training to hold back and let the information come in before making a diagnosis because they have the luxury of time. It could be a chronic diagnosis that they, all they have to deal with is our patients with chronic diagnoses that they had for years and have plenty of time to figure out the right one before giving something that's too dangerous, like House. You know, I always watch House and I'm like, well, Dr. House. Yeah, I was like, come on, this guy, like, he literally almost kills him three times before you like, find, <laughs> that's bad medicine. He's trying to like figure that shit out. So my, my answer to them is when it comes to a pandemic when you don't have the luxury of time and people are listening to you and depending on you and your expertise to make a decision, especially your own patients, I asked them, are you protecting yourself or protecting your patients by not giving you an answer? And that's what I'm most afraid of, that they're more trying to protect themselves rather than to protect their patients, even though at the time it, it can go both ways. Totally understand the fear of it, but the lack of doing something. And this is funny because coming from emergency medicine, we always do everything first and ask questions later. But part of the art of emergency medicine is don't do something, just stand there as well, is that art of balance. And by not saying enough for too long, it creates doubt yes. and actually has more of a profound negative impact than the positive that you're trying to do. We only judge others by their behaviors and only ourselves by our intentions. So they have very good intentions, but the behavior might actually hurt somebody in the long run. And I have to ask from that intention, is your intention truly trying to protect yourself or other patients? And it's valid. Sometimes they just like, oh, I'm trying to protect my patients by like not giving the wrong answer. But then the patients that have created doubt because you had doubt, you pause, they pause. And when it comes to getting the vaccine, when they've had a time, they finally get around to it because you created so much doubt, they got COVID and they killed their grandmother. Does that go against their oath? 
people really, I want to say that I You're bring up my line there. I bring up my oath every shift. When people ask me to do things I don't feel comfortable doing, I say I have an oath to do no harm. But I remember doing that, and you asked me that. I remember like yesterday during a shift, another doctor was like, "Wow, I forgot that we like had an oath." What is what is the actual He's, oath? You know, to do no harm. That's it. To do no, no it's a whole long Hippocratic oath. It's about like, you know, but to sum it up, it's to do no harm, to do no harm. You know, we, we do it. We say it once during medical school. We say it once during residency. And then like I see plenty of doctors who've forgotten that they took on taking an oath that they do things that hurt the patients, uh, even with good intentions. Yeah. Uh, I see that. I see that yeah. they have good intentions, but a lot of them can be jaded. Someone very close to me had a stroke, a, a, well, a brain aneurysm, and it was a very tough time for me. Yeah. Um, and from the nurses to the doctors, I can see it was just another day in the park. Like it was just, they were just laughing, smiling around. And I'm here. I'm not showing. I'm not sure if this person who I love dearly is going. Am I going to lose them forever? And they were just. It just didn't have that level of seriousness that I felt that moment needed. Literally right outside the waiting room. I mean, uh, so I guess what was that room? Dude, the hospital. The nurses and, do- and doctors are literally right outside, and they're laughing, making jokes, just talking about random stuff. While I'm here, uh, in a completely different emotional state, I don't want to see other people um, walking around so loosely and happy. It is to me, I'm just, I want them trying to figure out how to help this person. This person's in pain right now, and they can't feel certain parts of their body. And I had enough. I literally flipped out on, a, on, on, on the nurse and, and the doctors because the doctor looked like he hadn't slept in days. He looked like a zombie. His eyes was bloodshot. He was talking to me with the longest blinks ever, like five-second blinks. I mean, he sounded very intelligent, but it also sounded like a script that he memorized, right? So, and he's, he's going like this, yeah, well, this and that, this, and we need to wait. And yeah, so right there, that's when I lost it. I just said, hey, no, Let's go. Let's. I know you do this every day, but this is different. Like I'm. This is me. I'm not. I'm not playing that. And I went off. I was like, this person here is out here smiling, talking like you know, trying to handle me. I don't want to be handled. I want you to help this person. Don't handle me. Help this person. That's why we came here. Mm. And after that conversation, let's just call it that. Um, they immediately 180. I started feeling more attention. I started seeing them caring that she was in pain and addressing that pain, making her feel more comfortable. They started giving more up-to-date information instead of just leaving me hanging there with a bunch of question marks in my head. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? X-rays are, oh, there's the blood's growing. I was like, what does that mean? What does that mean? I don't know. Like, you got to explain it. Is that bad? Is that really bad? And at that point, moving forward, everything was just perfect. I mean, from the calls, I would get phone calls, I would get uh, text messages, I would get so much information where I finally felt, how come they couldn't do this at the beginning? Is it something that happens regularly with doctors and nurses where they get jaded? Because also this happened to another friend of mine and I, and I, and well, this was more with the receptionist and I had to go at the receptionist and let them know this is not a game, this is somebody's life. You know, where they were just kind of texting, having fun and didn't really care. And I said, no, we need to go through right now. We're not waiting here. This person's going to die. And um, they were just, they couldn't, they looked like they couldn't care less. First of all, I'm sorry you had to go through that experience. It's mm-hmm. not something that people should go through. It's unfortunate that it happens every day. But secondly, you're not wrong, but neither are they. 
every day of my life is everyone else's worst day of their lives. So think about that. And in order to have them survive, I'm not throwing any of my colleagues under the bus. Obviously, they can always do better. We can always do better. And I'm sorry you had to go through that. And I wish you deserved better. But the issue is, we had earlier said in the podcast, you're speaking to a community that was committing suicide at a rate that was twice the national average before a pandemic. They don't want to be rude or dismissive. But when we try to talk about our problems, nobody wants to listen. So we have to manifest that in other ways with among other colleagues with dark humor in order to survive so we can take care of the next person because that's better than us all killing ourselves so that you have no one else to take care of your loved ones when it's your turn to get sick, when it's their turn to get sick. It's a lesser of two evils because there is a system that exists that is destroying us and has been destroying us no matter how much we try to raise the alarm bells, but it's to a community that usually put others before ourselves when it's finally time to finally stand up for ourselves to like crack a joke, to get by to the next person. It's better than us just giving up and walking out in the middle of a shift because then that means people will die. We, don't, we can't exist in the system. It was unsustainable to begin with. And what do you expect when you walk into a room and there's a pandemic now, but there's no PPE for any of us. We knew this. Of course we knew this for the longest time. It took us 20 minutes to find an N95. Then a pandemic was on. We raised the alarm bells for years. I mean, that's, that's the environment that we work in. Every day of our lives is everyone else's worth their lives. And we're not really fully protected, let alone compensated because they're laying us off after, not laying me, but like the royal we of healthcare workers even before pandemic rolls around. So it, the, and, and also our colleagues are killing ourselves. Right. But I think there's a problem personally for people when they start losing humanity. Oh, yeah. That's, Indif- that's, what, Indif- that's what it felt like. Indifference is the worst person, casualty. Yeah, this person was just another n- number, another guest that came in, and they're just trying to get it turned around, and they're trying to get through their day. Indifference and, is a sign when you should stop working. And I, I agree with and that. And I understand that, but as a patient, as someone who loves someone, or have loved ones in yeah. hospitals, that's not good enough. Like, I agree. I, I, no, I like, totally agree. Yeah. I don't, I always... I, and, and, is, and let's speak to the, like, they're tired. Right, I understand he's tired. I understand not just tired; they're, they're morally injured. Right, morally injured, and when you don't get enough sleep, you don't do your best work. That goes for every industry in terms of morale and and uh, being focused. I get it. How do we improve that? The system has to change. How? Where does it start? Because it's like we all know that this car right here is fucked up. We, we it's ran into a tree. And we're all kind of looking at it and go. Oh, we're kind of rolling the dice. We could get in it, but it could kill us. But it's better than walking. But there is someone out there that profits from a destroyed car. Right. The mechanic, right? So, but, but then we go, how can we fix this stuff? The because car company as well that gets a profit off the mechanic. They want to engineer cars that aren't perfect. It's like Batman. Remember when Bruce Wayne gets a suit and he asks Lucius Fox. So you're like, saying this is part of an organized chaos? This is, the system is designed to be imperfect. And we have to fight constantly to make it better. But with doctors speaking up, with patients speaking up, with everybody speaking up well, about this. pandemic speaking does, up. Right. How? And they're, how, laying, they're, laying us, they're laying off more doctors. How is that even possible? That's insane. Yeah. Why, why are they laying we, off doctors? We also lived in a world where women were not allowed to vote, when black Americans were not allowed to vote. We had slavery or enslaved people. Sorry. 
We had enslaved people. We enslaved people. We profited off of you. Our founding fathers. I mean, this is, we, it's been insane since the very beginning. And we always fought for progress. We always saw the problems in the status quo. And there's plenty of people out there who let it happen. We saw colonization and we saw apartheid and we saw genocide and people just let it happen. And they said that was normal. We just went through four years of a presidency that people were dying without PPE. And it's like, oh, it's just the flu. And people said, hey, that's normal. And then to this day, they're saying that it's, they don't believe it. And people don't believe in the Holocaust. So is, are you surprised? It's, it, the system gains from imperfection, unfortunately. We have to find a way that it doesn't gain from imperfections. And that's what we fight for, to make it unsustainable for the people in power. But each so, one of those cases, there were catalysts to address. At some point in history, there was, there was a spark that said, you know what? Slavery is bad. You know what? We can't allow this to happen, right? What's the spark? People had to die. Anti-Asian hits, anti-Asian hate. What did that take for that rally? People had to get shot. And and that sucks. I don't want to live in that world. It's a tragedy. Right. But I I, I hate to live in a system or a world that espouses a system where people have to die in order to have movements created. Why can't we be preventative? Why can't we not celebrate resiliency? Honestly, like to me, I grew up with trauma. I, I, I credit to my resiliency to that trauma. I want my future loved ones and loved ones now to be resilient. Um, but the issue is that why do we live in this world, in a system where we have to be resilient in the first place? Or maybe say, that's life. You got to deal with it. But why can't we fight for a better world where we don't have to be so resilient that we have to die I think, early? I think young. at a year 2021, we would have the common sense, right? But sometimes things that seem so common sense, there's just so many, I don't know if it's like dogmatism i don't know if it's just people are so set in their ways and they're religious about it and you got to jump through so many hoops where common sense just said you know you don't really have to make a left right left right up down you can just go straight and get to your destination it's that simple but they want to overcomplicate things and you say for money but at some point when are we going to look at it where it's impacting our lives forget about our wallet but it's impacting our lives and wouldn't it be more profitable as a society we get this right but we live in a world that's actually more like Adoisus Huxley's Brave New World, where people are so distracted by social media and external stimuli, the next test, the next exam, when you got to do this and answer this Facebook message and who this is updating. They don't care. There's a distraction. To let alone even pay attention to the news or you know, even the news in a way is a kind of entertainment exploitation. Where people well, can't Trump really, proved that. Where, where people can't even focus on what the things that, are, that matter. You're speaking to the choir here. But I'm not the representative of the majority, I fear. I think the majority is the brave new world. People are so stunted in their set ways by habits and socializations. You know, as a man, you have to do this. As a woman, you have to do this. As a trans or cis or black, brown, whatever, that you expect to do this. And everyone's like, okay, because they want to stay safe. And, you know, our parents do this to us to keep us safe. Great intentions. But the behavior has such a socialization negative impact on us that we don't, we start forgetting how to think critically and for ourselves and pay attention to what actually matters and play in the areas that we can make a difference in until somebody we know dies Mm. until somebody we know that we love leaves us or we grieve a loss a traumatic event that actually affords us the opportunity to then reframe everything and either get worse and you know spiral down the negative feedback which is totally possible or use it as an opportunity to reframe it as a as a a opportunity to change your habits how about calling out the ones that are responsible how about calling the ones out who have the power to do something? Well, I think I think that's the thing. Like, how about following we, we the money We can't really trail? identify. 
I mean, we we have a general idea of who to call out, but I don't think like there's so many components to who's responsible for these things. We got the the, the public who have you know their their set ways, and then we have you know people in charge in their set ways. Like, who are we trying to target? Right? Is yeah. it is it people? Are we trying to kind of get everyone together who's on our side? You know, tribalism, and then figure figure it out and just I like kind of target those specific groups. Because I don't think that's a that's a huge battle, right? But look look at the age we live in. We live in a, such a cancel culture. Now we have something yeah, this, legit to go after. But you're trying to cancel another yeah. group. Right you, now. Could, you could be canceled. You just canceling say, something. Who do we call out? Who do we call out? And I'm not against. It's it's not black and white. I, mean, I can't be like against everything. But you just did it yourself. But how are you going to call out someone? If people are not unified of who to call out. Here's the thing. I'm against. I'm against letting people die for for profit. Let's, mm. I mean that's that's pretty straightforward, is it not? Yeah, right. Some people don't care. Some people don't care. People. Some people profit off of people dying, and that's unfortunate. Arms dealers. You would get rid of war. Do you know everything? A lot of industries would collapse. Do you really think that your taxes right now are going to stand to benefit education and all that stuff? If we all of a sudden got rid of war, they're going to find another way to profit war or defense budgets. Do you think it's human nature to have war? I think human nature is destined to be imperfect. I think it goes I, from imperfect. I actually think it's against our nature to just all have this a peaceful society. But this you, utopian. It's it's also kumbaya. human nature. It's also human nature to try to generalize human nature, which is impossible. You cannot generalize human nature. Everyone is different, and then same at the same time. Some people just grow up wanting to destroy things, and the very right. people who destroy things are the ones that create opportunities for people. Some people just want to build things. Some people want to heal. Not everyone's supposed to be a doctor. Not everyone's supposed to, you know, be an eye banker or do finance or be law. You know, everyone's different on the way. I mean, are you united wise? I think people have a sense of self-preservation, but put in a different context or circumstance, that self-preservation could look like a murderer or someone trying to protect themselves. Depend on which angle you're, which yeah, vantage point you're coming or, from. Or what are the circumstances? Right. You know, how you grew up, with the, the trauma that you had, with your parents that did on to you, there's mental health struggles, or just you just being a dick, and you, 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 you got drunk, and, you know, you did a terrible thing. Or, you know, you got, you got you're at work, you, they, the people that even didn't do enough for your friend. One day we'll get it right. We're going to do better. Because if you look in the past, let's, even as far as 20 years ago, I mean, we've, we've come a long way. A lot has changed, but yes, a lot does still feel the same. But it has improved. Would I want to go back 20 years and be there? Would I want to go back 30 years and live there? I, I, I wouldn't. The secret to that is you have to accept the reality that will never be perfect. And you'll never win. That's not the point of life. If you had everything and everything came perfectly to a utopia at this age in your life, you'd be bored out of your mind let alone your own personal gain. If you had planned everything to the person that you want to be and everything exa happened exactly as they did, there's no point of living without anything to struggle for. So accept the fact in terms of activism, activism and struggle that it would always be an imperfect, but there's always room for you to create progress in the places you are, to leave a world a little bit better than, the per than, than how you left it so that your children have something to fight for. I want my children to have something to fight for that is, that is bigger than they are. If they have nothing to fight for, I fear for, I fear for them. Because that's what grieves the zest of life. Obviously, at the same time, I do believe in being, you know, having that wellness and you know, self-awareness and be zen and let everything pass through you, but I also believe in the balance of you know, accepting things they are, but also fighting for what is right. There is a balance between the two. Um, you're never gonna be perfect. There's never be 
a good thing. And then go back to your original, the previous argument with human nature. Do you know what the test is to determine if you're a good person? The one test. No, what is that? If you ask them a question, are you a good person? How they answer that. A truly good person is confident enough and humble enough to say no because they know they're one step away from being a monster. They know that every one of us in this room and every human on this planet has a monster side to themselves. Given put in the wrong circumstance, in, the ba- in, a, in a bad enough circumstance, they will access that monster just like Hulk, just like Tony Stark who gets you know, self-absorbed and paranoid. You know, just like Captain America. Takes one bad day. Because they know that and they're self-aware of that monster and they are answering no, they are constantly trying to be good. Mm. And because that active effort to be good actually allows them, after the fact, looking back, as Steve Jobs said, it only makes sense when you look backwards, that they've always stayed to be good because they know they're one step away from completely having a meltdown. The person who says, yes, I'm good, is the one that ends up getting too relaxed, kicks back, and then bad shit starts happening. And the people who will start laughing at work and who's just like, yeah, everything's cool. He's alive. You know, mm-hmm. the good doctors, the ones like anyone in a minute, they all going to die. And I could totally be that guy who's going to be laughed. So I got to be on my A game because I am that guy that laughs at jokes in the work when someone else is dying mm-hmm. because they are the same people. I am that person. I try. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I wasn't there. I want to be there because I can, I can feel like I'm giving that person, but then I will also do wrong by myself by even answering that way because I know that I'm capable of being that person. Therefore that's why I act. It's, it's, I'm not sure if you understand, you're seeing I, I'm, this right I'm now. I'm grasping it. I'm, yeah. You know, Being I get it. You're, you're showing a lot of empathy for me and for your colleagues. At the same time, without throwing anyone in the bus. Right. Because it's true. We're all complicated people. It's, it, it is very complicated. And there's a lot to unpack there. But there is a formal way to behave. Yeah. The standard of care. And that's it. And... That's all I'm saying. But people move the goalposts of standard of care all the time, especially the people in power who can get away right. with it. And, and when that happens, I'm not afraid to speak up against it. So if that ha- especially if it's people I care about, I do not hesitate to fight for who I love. Sure. And then, but it gets to a point of the world where you, the, the time that you fight for the people you love end up hurting other people that are loved by others. That's when... That's all the, the, the culmination of all the things that's going on in the world right now. People have really good intentions, but the behavior is hurting other people. How do you find a win-win situation? And people are just not willing to take the extra leap to find a win-win. There is a possible. I mean, my life, being not knowing being a doctor, should I be a doctor, both seem mutually exclusive. If I did, damned if you do, damned if you don't, you literally said that. But now I found a way to be my own doctor, happy as I am, because I'm grateful to being a doctor. I'm happy that I did it, but I be, only not because of what, what I did, but how I did it. And that gave me the understanding that it is possible. Only with a little bit more effort and self-awareness can you achieve uh, a good intention and behavior to, to coincide. But a lot of people in, in a time of grief or a time of loss or a time when things are uncertainty, yeah. uncertainty yeah. they just react. Mm-hmm. And then when they react, they start stepping on other people's toes, literally and figuratively, and hurting other people. And then they, get, and then they fight back, and then it goes back and forth. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you threw that, you threw that, and then you're basically, who started what? We don't know. Thanks for listening and supporting the podcast. Check us out on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts for the rest of our episodes.